This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call one 877 Hope and why in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect dynasty and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mesh. And today we're continuing to wind down uh, the prospect season in 2023 here at On the Farm. Uh, and while we're planning to to hopefully have a really fun um, next few weeks for you guys to officially end the OTF year, some some fun episodes that we're planning on. This episode is kind of our last traditional uh, podcast for 2023. And what we're going to be doing is looking ahead to 2024. Uh, talking about some players, some trends, and uh, even farm systems that we can't wait to see more of next season. Uh, before we get started there, of course, we want to jump into this week in baseball. We have a few uh, late season debuts of some highly anticipated uh, for 2023 prospects. Um, we'll go right down the line. Jason Dominguez finally making his MLB debut with the Yankees. Uh, Jake, I think you may have... Uh, I've been kind of unplugged for the last few days, so I think you may have more insight into this than I do. But what do you think of the Martian making his way to the Bronx? Well, I mean, I think um, to, first off, to anyone that rosters Jason Dominguez in any meaningful way in fantasy baseball, you are welcome because I performed the uh, reverse jinx on, on Jason <laughs> uh, because I went on this podcast like two weeks ago and I said, I was wrong. Jason's not as good as I thought, you know, because he it was the whole post hype thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay on him. Uh, I picked him to be the best uh, prospect hitter by the end of this year in one of our um, uh, prediction episodes in, in earlier this season. And, you know, so and then it just he struggled so much off the bat and he got hot down the stretch, but he kind of he got hot a little bit under the radar. And I honestly just didn't quite catch how good he was recently and um and i looked at it as like well he's nowhere near the best hitter in uh in the prospects right now so obviously that was a horrible take um but he was doing a lot better than i even thought and wouldn't you know it within within two weeks of me coming on and saying like oh my god i was so wrong about him he is in the major leagues and he is like changing the course of yankee history uh they hadn't swept the astros in a series since i think it was 2012 and he makes his MLB debut in Houston. 
hits homers in two of the three games and the Yankees sweep the Astros, the out of the playoffs Yankees, the like huge underperformers, the complete disappointments, the embarrassment of the Big Apple mm-hmm. sweeps the Astros who are in the absolute thick of the playoff race, the division race, everything like that. They are the usual powerhouse Astros got swept at home by the Yankees and Jason Domingo's made his like. Are we gonna are we gonna draw a parallel there? Probably not. But if you want to play narrative ball, there's it's right there. Yeah. It's just waiting to happen. Coincidence? Um, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I mean, Dominguez is he, he he's played in center field each game and he's batted third or fifth. So it I don't see him really taking him out of the lineup very often or like pushing him down. It's I mean they're out of it, so they're gonna let him go um, and see what he's got. Um, if you're actually relying on him for production down the stretch, I think that's a bit risky um, just because I, I think the batting average, even in the minors this year, his batting average um, and his hot streaks have been great. But consistently overall, I think maybe he's been like a 260 hitter. So um, it's it's definitely a risk, um, but he can provide some pop and, and he stole a ton of bases, too. So it just depends on what you need. Um, he's probably going to play at least. But um, yeah, turns out he's pretty good. And there's yeah, it's there's been a lot of back and forth and up and down, and no one it, it's it's he's just I can't wait to see him succeed at this. And now I, I honestly am excited because now is like it, everything's been speculation. It's it's like mm-hmm. oh he's the next Mickey, he's the next Mike, you know he's like gonna be this huge incredible thing. And then he's like oh my god he's a bust. And then I was like oh he's not a bust, he's great. And then I was like oh he might be a bust, guys. <laughs> we no longer have to speculate. Like he is here. He will be here. He's not really going to go back down for extended periods of time, more than likely. Um, and now we're just going to know who he is. And it's just going to be so much easier to talk about him because he doesn't have all this kind of prospect baggage and um, and even just like the the prospect. Um, oh, what's the phrase for getting tired in like prospecting? Like guys. Yes. Prospect fatigue. Yeah. Prospect fatigue. Yeah. yeah. So well, I'm, sure. I'm excited. He's, 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 here. he's a real boy now. He's a real boy. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, uh, all the all the stat cast data will be there. All the you know all the good stuff. So uh, yeah, it's a really good point. Um, uh, actually, to to couple that on the other side uh, of of the city with another team that's also floundering uh, <laughs> is uh, Ronnie Mauricio uh, for the Mets. And so yep. a- another guy that prospect fatigue has set in. We've gone kind of round and round. He was going to be the the next uh great thing for the Mets. Then it was like, oh, this guy is actually not that good. His hit tool is all suspect. Uh he set the um uh winter league on fire last winter league. Um but then it was like, wow, that's amazing. But also the winter league pitchers kind of suck. So how much does that really count? And then it was it was kind of not as dramatic uh as Dominguez obviously, but a lot of similar New York hype back and forth. Is this guy any good? Uh, and then he looked really, really good at AAA uh, through most of this season. He finally makes his debut for the Mets. Uh, again, uh, I throw it to you, Jake, to kind of talk us up about what to expect to finish out this season and then kind of taking that peek into 2024. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Mauricio, again, like they've played him since he was promoted. So props to props to the Mets. Um, well, I can't give full props to the Mets because for some unbeknownst reason to me, they still play Daniel Vogelbach almost every game at DH. Um, even if Vogelbach was like a solid hitter, like, I mean, I'm not here to, um, I think disparage him, but 
he he's he's 30 years old and he's like not going to be a part of the next good team for for the Mets. Why is he playing every day over Mark Vientos um or even like Brett Beatty? Like I don't I don't get it. Even if it's against a lefty, I'd rather see what Beatty can do and maybe see if he can improve against lefties than just like what I mean, I guess Vogelbach doesn't play much against lefties either, but like there's just like why are you wasting the the lineup spot on well they can't they can't run those they can't run the mlb commercials about him stealing the base if he's not in the lineup that's that was part of the contract <laughs> well, that, is that the conspiracy is that like eventually he's no, that was, just, that was in the contract that was he was like listen i will cut this commercial but i'm an everyday player that's how that goes <laughs> oh my god you know what i'm making that up that is that is that is fake that is not true and it, even if it was, whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do to get your bag, man, like you're not going to be in the league for super long, like take advantage of it while you got it. He probably made a big cut, chunk of ch- chunk of change from from that commercial regardless. But um, yeah, like the, the Mets are out of it. And I'd like to I mean, obviously just like to see all the all the young guys kind of just get run. And but as far as Mauricio goes, he has played at second base at every game so far, all three of them since he was promoted. Um, unlike Dominguez, he's hitting towards the bottom of the lineup, ninth, ninth, and seventh. Um, and it, I mean, it's probably going to stay like that just because at the top they have Nimmo, Lindor, and Alonzo. Um, and I don't think they're really going to move those guys around, even McNeil. Um, and so I think, yeah, Mauricio's probably like maybe middle, but mostly, mostly back end of the lineup. Um, you know, should still play pretty frequently because um, the only other second baseman really is is Jeff McNeil, but he's been playing left field uh, since Mariso came up and, and they got rid of Tommy Pham and Mark Hanna and kind of the, some of the other veterans do it, having the log jam, which, uh, you know, again, got to give them credit where it's due. Um, so yeah, I think Mauricio's gonna, gonna play a fair amount here. And, and he's, I, it's like a solid talent. Um, I think he went like what four for seven in his first few games and, um, hit a ball. What was it? it was like 117.2 at the time. It was harder than like, like judge and Acuna or something. And, um, not anymore, but, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, he hits the ball really hard in, in triple a, he, he didn't do it like, I guess, as, uh, consistently, uh, I think he had like an 8% barrel rate. Um, I don't have the numbers up in front of me now, so I don't want to speculate on all of it, but, uh, Solid, like a solid across the board, you know, like hits the ball hard pretty frequently, has solid zone contact rates and um, is a switch hitter. So it's going to be hard to platoon him so aggressively. So, um, yeah, no, I think he's I think he's going to be solid. Um, And I would probably I'd rather have him if I was doing rest of season. I would rather have him over Dominguez. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Even even with him batting lower in the order. Yeah, because I mean, even Dominguez hitting towards the top of the Yankees order, like it's Judge and uh, Crickets, you know, like the Yankees order isn't exactly formidable. And where where Mauricio is in the Mets order is honestly pretty similar. Like he's, they don't have Judge, obviously, but um, like Beatty and Alvarez are solid. DJ Stewart's been Babe Ruth recently, and um, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's as much of a difference because I think Dominguez can just be a pretty big batting average liability. And I think Mauricio offers very similar power speed. Um, and so I think that, you know, I think, and I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that about covers it. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip the third bullet point because that kind of bleeds into a segue into what we're going to be talking about for the 
pod itself. Um, let's jump into uh, Alex Canario of the Cubs. Uh, you have here promoted to ride the bench, question mark. Um, so what are we seeing with uh, Chicago uh, uh, bringing up Canario, who who really, um, you know, is, is a very interesting story. He was part of that group. Um, and we've talked about this in bits and pieces uh, in previous episodes, the Cubs kind of struggling to um, reinvigorate their farm over the past couple of seasons, especially after the World Series win. And it seemed like what they did um, kind of we t- we talk about the Angels kind of trying to take shortcuts. It seems like what the Cubs kind of did was similar um, as they were disassembling that World Series uh, post World Series team dealing Chris Bryant and, and Rizzo and, and those guys um, getting back some high minors prospects from these other teams. So kind of like trying to jumpstart their um, farm system with some guys that at least should have some high floor, even if the upside might be a little bit more capped um, by getting guys that were already in double A, triple A in some cases. Canario's one of those players uh, a little bit further down uh, coming from the Giants where he had been on the radar. It was him. It was Luis Matos. It was Luciano. They had kind of a quartet of guys. Um, uh, I'm I'm blanking. I can see his name. Toribio. Luis Toribio was the was like the fourth part of this quartet for the Giants. Um, we know obviously Matos. We know Luciano. Uh, uh, Toriabo has not worked out at all. Um, and Canario gets dealt to the Cubs. He gets injured. Um, so he loses some major time and, and has uh, some tough time coming back from injury. But this season, uh, has looked much better as he's gotten healthier, finally gets promoted and not seeing a whole lot of run, uh, there in, in Cubs land. So what do we make of that? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's been frustrating because since he was promoted, he hasn't, I don't think he's appeared in a game. He hasn't started, and I don't think he's appeared in a game at all, even as like a pinch runner or a defense re- replacement or anything like that. Um, and it's been four games. And his manager even said that he's, I think he's, the, the, I'm, I'll say that I'm paraphrasing here, but I think he said that he's at the bottom of the depth chart or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, why? Like, I know it's September call-ups and you have to call up someone, but like, why? call up someone who was getting everyday plate appearances in triple a just to like like are is, is your take that he's going to absorb a bunch of experience from these guys and like pick their brains and like learn like i mean okay that's cool but i would also like him to actually see major league pitching at some point you know right. um so i mean and i and i know that they're also in a playoff race mm-hmm. and that like uh, like if they don't think that he can you know, contribute consistently enough with the bat um, because like he does have some holes. He has a 28% strikeout rate in triple mm-hmm. A. Um, and so it's like, if they don't, if they don't think he'd be consistent enough, like I get it, then why isn't he at still at triple A and like yeah. actually playing, you know, he's, he's quite young still. I think he's only 22, maybe uh, 23. Oh, he is 23. Okay. 23. Yeah. Not as young as I thought, but still, I mean, still quite young. Um, Fair. But yeah, so here's my sort of bit of concern when it comes to the Cubs. So they, I look at groupings of similar players a lot when it comes to farm systems and it comes to teams uh, because, and I could be completely off base, but in my opinion, it kind of tells you something about profiles, types of players that they look for and value um, and what they're trying to get at least. So it's kind of like, well, we all have, you know, if we have four or five of the same types of pitchers, they're probably banking on at least one, maybe two of those guys 
you know, becoming a starter, which means they were looking for this type of pitcher to be a starting pitcher for them, right? That's kind of where I look at things. And so looking at the Cubs, you had Brennan Davis, uh, you have Canario that they got, uh, you had Nelson Velasquez, I know he got dealt, speak on that for a minute. So you had those three, obviously uh, a couple rungs down at the time, uh, you had PCA, right? They, they get Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, they draft on Casey. So you start to look and and with the top three that I just named, Canario, Davis, and Velasquez as well. Very similar as far as like major power across the board. The yeah. hit tool for all three. Now, of course, Davis had his back injury and it seems like that really unfortunately may have derailed his entire career because at the time before his back injury, he was the most polished um of that quartet and one of the most polished hitters we saw as far as having both power but also having like a really strong hit tool um i start to wonder like davis gets hurt you you can't you know predict and like a back injury of all injuries like you can't predict that but that you know he that may not work out the way we all anticipated like you said canario has some question marks as well um, they deal Velasquez and he never really got everyday time with them when he did get promoted. He was kind of being rotated through. Now, mind you, he also has holes as well, swing and miss. He's more of a corner outfield guy, not all three outfield positions. But he goes to Kansas City and seems to have carved out a nice little space for himself there. And we see Kansas City all of a sudden, they are like the scrap heap. They're they're the island of yeah. they're figuring out something right between him and Rackens. Like they're doing something right over there. So anyway, long story short, I start to just question, like, is there a um, position or a a player type that they're valuing, but not necessarily able to connect the dots of getting uh, of developing to the end goal? Because, right, you can look you can have a team that says, oh, we love, uh, you know, I'll make something up. Right. We love a toolsy switch hitting middle infant actually i don't have to make it up cleveland loves those guys like yep. young switch hitting typically from the dominican republic like middle infielders they can play second they play short maybe they play third we can move them around they're really young they have an athletic build they haven't grown into it and we just sign those guys just over and over and over again well when you hit on somebody like a lindor that's enough to be like hey all you need is one lindor to be like that's enough and we're going to keep you know, bringing these guys through, right? We're going to create a pipeline because all we need is one Lindor every 10 years and like that'll, that's golden. But if you never get anybody good, anybody of value, but you're still coveting that type of, you know, player type, to me, it starts to be like, well, maybe that you you guys just aren't good at developing. Like there's a gap there. Right. So, I mean, this is all speculation, but just thinking about Canario, like we say, he's still relatively young, um, and now he's, you know, he's up on a team that's not really playing him. I start to wonder from a fantasy standpoint, like, might want to pull the shoot, right? And pull the ripcord, I should say, and like get him out of here now. Maybe he turns into a 30 home run guy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was kind of um forecasted to be even when he was with San Francisco, but I just don't know if I trust Chicago to especially seeing like this is what they're doing already and they've done with the playing time they've done it with all it's like all those players that have that profile they have refused to give them consistent playing right it's like it's Morel it's Velazquez Mm -hmm. it's now Canario like 
the big power, big strikeout rates. Right. Like if you have somebody who has, who's, you know, um, needs to work on their approach, you know, doesn't like strikes out a bit too much is inconsistent at the plate. Why would you then give them inconsistent playing time? Right. I feel like that exasperates the problem they already have. Yeah. And like you see Velasquez, like Velasquez with Kansas city has been playing almost every day. And look at that. Like he's getting a lot better. He's been, I saw in Statcast the other day, he's like the, in the top three over the league in the league in um, change and expected Woba from mm. the previous, like, you know, a hundred PAs to the front to the last hundred PAs, right. you know, like increase right. over the last, like whatever. Um, he's really started skyrocketing. Like, is it just the playing time? Is it the change of scenery? You know, I, I'm not sure, but if but you the, like the playing time has to be part of it, because yeah. when you talk about a guy like that, and, and again, I, I know I'm prone to, to cross sport, analogy but i think about basketball like if you have an inconsistent jump shooter the worst thing that you want to do if you're if you are actually trying to get them to be better the worst thing that you want to do is be like but you not aren't going to get a lot of touches and you aren't going to get a lot of minutes but we need you to to go from being a 30 percent three-point shooter to 42 percent. like that's never going right. to happen right it's never going to happen the person needs shots right like they need shots they need to get touches they need to or you have to cut your losses and be like you know what it's not going to work out for this guy. We need somebody better and we just need to move on. But the in between it, especially this early in the career is like, it, it's, it's only going to hurt because like you said, I, if, if I don't know how to recognize a uh, breaking ball out of the hand, now I'm, I'm not saying this is the exact scouting report for Canaro, right. Right? but just right. generally thinking about young hitters that have swing and miss issues. Right. If I, if I have pitch recognition issues, Right, especially with breaking balls or off-speed pitches. If I struggle uh, against same pitchers, and again, if I'm a righty, I'm seeing a bunch of righties. I'm not going to see a lot of lefties. If I'm struggling with that, if I am overly aggressive just to begin with in my approach because I'm trying to knock everything 400-plus feet, yeah, I kind of need to strike. I need to like wear an 0 for 4 <laughs> a few yeah. times so i have some video to go back with the hitting yeah. coach and, and, and those oh for fours hurt so much more when you have when that's like your one game exactly it's like well you get your one shot you went oh for four you didn't come close to touching anything and then mm -hmm. you're not going to see a game for another week yep. and it's like well okay i just sit there thinking about that i mean it, we talk about it with pitchers all the time so i don't know why with hitters it's anything we would think it's anything different right if you have a young pitcher the word the last thing that you want to do with a young pitcher is let them wear uh, you know, three inning, seven run blow up and then be like, but you you aren't going to get another start in five days. So you just have to think about that start in your brain and pick that apart for a week plus. <laughs> like you don't want that. Right. Uh, we hear it from the high leverage guys all the time about having a short memory because they absolutely have to. But even with starters, they have to have a, a somewhat short memory as well to be like, OK, I thought about it. I dissected it, but I'm ready to move on because I have this new start, different team, et cetera. But when you just wear that and you're just sitting there thinking about it for young guys, I mean, for most players, but especially for young players, you have nothing else to fall back on. Right. Um, you take not even a great pitcher. You take a, um, a guy like, I don't know, uh, uh, I can see his face and I can't think of his name on st louis not not wainwright but we'll go with Nicholas. yeah Nicholas. thank you i could see his face i couldn't think of the name you think of Nicholas? like he's not a he's not a hall of famer he's not a great pitcher but he's been around so yeah. like he gets blown up i'm sure it sucks i'm sure it, it plays a little bit but he has enough to go back on and be like but i can do this because i'm right, in right. here and i know what my good starts look like right so okay i can kind of mentally battle that 
you're 23 years old and you have nothing else to go off of. You know, your good starts are when I shut out a double A team. Like that doesn't mean anything against it. So yep. anyways, we're, we're going along on this, but I, I, I'm with you. I don't understand if you're going to promote somebody, especially somebody that has some clear developmental issues, give them the chance to work out those de- developmental issues. And then you can make your decisions based on actual data versus I don't know what they're thinking about right now. Um, let's finish up here. Connor Phillips uh, set to make his major league debut for your Cincinnati Rays this upcoming Tuesday. So we're recording this on uh, Monday. Um, so happy Labor Day, by the way, to y'all um, post Labor Day. So on tomorrow, he's set to make his debut against Seattle. Uh, real quickly, what do you anticipate seeing from Connor Phillips? Uh, we, we've been seeing some interesting stuff, obviously, out of the Reds farm system overall, but definitely from their pitchers. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's uh, it's just like what version of Connor Phillips are we going to see? Because like if you look at his his, uh, his game log since he was promoted to AAA. Um, you know, I was really excited about the promotion and he kind of started off a little shaky, but it was like, oh, he's just adjusting because at the time they were using the tacky ball in AA when he was there. And um, and then he, like after a couple starts, he really got into a groove and he had uh, looks like uh, like five straight starts here with less than two earned runs uh, or four straight starts with less than two earned runs. And in the middle of that, he posted seven innings, no earned runs, 11 strikeouts, uh, two walks. And uh, that was July 21st. And I went back and looked at his Savant uh, breakdown for that start. And I mean, like, oh, my gosh, he had 17 whiffs and 104 pitches. Um, that's incredible. He had a 37% CSW, 34% chase rate, averaging 96 on the fastball, like just nasty stuff. And then he hit a huge, like, lull. Um, in, uh, in his four of his last five starts in triple a, he hasn't gone three innings. Uh, it's been 1.1, 2.1, 1.2, 1.1, uh, hasn't been striking really anybody out. And he walked a ton. Let's see. So it was five, nine, 10 walks to five strikeouts in those like what, seven innings or so. Um, and it's been like a full month of just like, like his command has been atrocious. Um, and I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it later in the podcast. I'm going to talk more about like walk rates in, in the minor leagues and how they're not quite as, um, valuable, I think, as even what I've thought in, in the past, um, pretty recently and, um, and how they're just very inconsistent. But when it's that, when it's that bad and it's leading to really bad results, it's really hard to, to like think of it on a positive note, you know, um, and then I think what caused them to be a bit more confident in the promotion is that in his last start out, he went six innings, uh, three hits, one walk, six strikeouts. Um, and it was, I mean, obviously a lot better box score, but even looking at, again, the kind of stat cast breakdown here, he had six whiffs in 83 pitches, which is a significant decrease in, in swinging strike. Uh, 30% CSW, solid, um, about league average. Um and his fastball is actually his velocities dropped by about a mile per hour on average. Um, and, you know, and he didn't get any chases really. It was a 23% chase rate. Um, and it's just, I don't know which version of him is going to pop up in the majors. But then again, like we've seen guys like struggle in the minors and then come up to the majors and dominate. Uh, you know, Bryce Miller, Kyle Harrison has been nasty. Um, 
even Gavin Williams was walking, I think 11 or 12% of the guys he's faced before coming up to the majors and he's been solid. Um, so it's, it's hard to draw like a one-to-one comparison. Um, but it's worth a note that like he's struggled with, with command recently. Um, and his just overall his whiff, even if you just want to completely disregard command, his whiff numbers had strikeout numbers have plummeted as well. So, um, you know, I think that he's still that pitcher that was fantastic earlier on, you know, in July and was getting a tons of swings and misses. And because the stuff is very similar, um, you know, I th- still think he could be that pitcher. And I don't think that his long term outlook is drastically affected. But um, the fact that he, you know, pitches in Cincinnati and it's a tough it's a tough park to pitch in. And, you know, I think it's cause for concern. But if you you know, if you need a if you need a streamer, if you, um, you know, maybe just need if you maybe just need to. Uh, strikeouts that's tough it's tough to to tell what he's going to get you you know is he going to go long enough to get a win is he going to be able to post like a a strikeout per inning um is he going to get blown up i don't really know it's tough so um i'm not dying to grab him but i think that he has the stuff the makeup to be really really good yeah i know we've touched on phillips uh at least once or twice, uh, I think in some previous episodes, that's kind of been his career um, overall. And, and I was just thinking this is a revenge game, right, for Phillips because he got traded from Seattle, right? Wasn't he part of the Castillo trade? That sounds right. Let me make sure real quick. I can pull it. I know there were like two there. trades, yeah. two major trades that Seattle did with uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, he was in one uh, of them. He started with yeah. Seattle. Yeah, so you know, potential revenge games. That's always interesting to, to see, but uh, the inconsistency has is, is been something, especially with walks, has been something that has plagued Phillips. So it will be um, fascinating to um, to see, you know, how he steps up with his major league debut. I think your point about Harrison is really well founded, right? We we were talking about like, oh, he was another one that we were like, oh, he's good, but oh, the walk rate maybe he's not so good. Oh, we don't know. He had like a twenty percent I mean, walk rate. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, like you said, so far, um, you know, I know he, he I, I was reading again, I've been unplugged for less two or three days, but I was reading he his last start. He had gotten a bit blown up, kind of got shelled. But I think overall he's looked, you know, pretty good. Harrison has um, since yeah. coming up. So, you know, it, it can like you were saying, it can definitely happen. Um, let's go uh, into our break uh, with this uh, Jackson Holiday uh, reports. Um, around uh, the league have um, confirmed that he will be getting promoted to AAA Norfolk. Uh, you have him here as a bullet point. Um, 2024 opening days, uh, shortstop, question mark. We will use that as our jumping off point uh, as we go into the break. After the break, I'll be outlining um, what I'm anticipating for 2024, including players to anticipate. You definitely can bet that Jackson Holiday is going to be there on that list. So stick with us after this break. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? And you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or underdog fantasy in the app store sign up with promo code pitcher list and get your first deposit doubled up to one hundred dollars 
Must be 18 year older, 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1 800 Next Step. In New York, call 1 877 8 Hope NY. In Tennessee, call 1 800 889 9789. All right, and we are back. Um, so the way I had this uh, broken up. Uh, and the outline is we're going to go ahead and um, talk through player or players to anticipate um, kind of any trends that we've noticed this year that we're anticipating seeing more of um, in, in 2024. And then one farm system that we are just really, really invested in watching multiple players come out of this farm system or at least develop in this farm system. Uh, so that's going to be the, the the breakdown here. I'm going to hit lead off uh, again, Jackson holiday, sure. Orioles bias. You can call it whatever. I'm, I'm all in now. I, I'll say it again, you know, a million times. I thought drew Jones was the pick. I thought it was super obvious. I had nothing against Jackson holiday. It just seemed like drew Jones had it all. Obviously I'm wrong, at least so far. And I'm more than happy to be wrong about that. Um, my player plural to anticipate is really, Junior Caminero versus Jackson Holiday. I know Jackson Churio is up there. Uh, I'm not leaving him off, but with it both being AL East teams, uh, we know there's some things going on with Tampa that uh, could open the pathway up for Junior Caminero kind of externally um, uh, for him to have expedited uh, path to playing time. But he's also been doing his part as well. Um, just every time I'm on the site formerly known as Twitter, and I'm I'm looking through timeline. It's it's Junior Caminero hitting the bomb. Like it's really at that point. Um, and then Jackson Holiday is just like that. He had one or two bumps in the road that were anticipated, and he just he handled them like a bro. And was just like, hey, I'm not hitting for a couple weeks. It's fine. I adjust, and now I'm right back on track. And not just like, oh, okay, he's like he was hitting like two twelve, and now he's up to like two seventy five. Like no, I was hitting two twelve, and now I'm hitting four hundred. Like I'm just, <laughs> I got it, and we're yeah. just rolling. Um, and so I, I really think I, both of them, I'm anticipating this being the AL East for the next seven years or really, at least, I mean, unfortunately, neither one of these teams are known for like paying their players. So pretty much whenever their rookie deal runs out and then we'll see what happens. But until then we get to watch, uh, two phenomenal, young, athletic, very gifted, uh, young men, uh, go, you know kind of i shouldn't say captain their teams but definitely lead uh their teams on and i think um it's almost like a race to who's gonna who's gonna break in first because i think again with external forces being what they are in tampa um they definitely could have a slide open and even if they don't right we don't know how that is going to work itself out obviously but i think they could put caminera at third and that is more than acceptable. Like he can play both positions. Um, you know, so could he break spring training uh, camp with Tampa? Absolutely. Could Jackson holiday? I think holiday, especially with this team, especially depending on how this Orioles team finishes the year, eh, I guess Tampa technically, right. Same way. Um, you know, but I think with that middle infield still just being so jam packed and they really haven't moved a lot of guys yet. I think it gets a little bit more difficult for him to break camp as 
the opening day shortstop. And I definitely don't see them pulling a Chicago and like having him with the team just to like play two games every like 10 days or something like that. So I really anticipate as it stands right now, he probably also, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The other thing that I think is very important to note with the Baltimore system, how they've been working so far with Elias and with this overall group of talent that they've been running through their pipeline the last couple of years. Um, and and I want to give credit, but I can't remember who I read this from. So I apologize, but I, I want to say it's one of the Baltimore beat writers that they've really made a point of all their top prospects touching all four levels. Right. So if they're like rookie ball, DSO, like from there to low A, from low A to high, like they want them to get a significant number. It doesn't mean they have to spend a whole year there. If they're performing, they'll move them. Obviously, Holiday is a perfect case in point. But if you think back to Grayson, if you think back to Adley, if you think back to Gunner, like all these guys, none of them have gone from double A up. Like they all have been touching every part of the system. So I think the Orioles are really, um, valuing that experience and so because of how late this promotion is happening for holiday in the you know overall season i think they want to give him that much more seasoning at that triple a level as well i think he essentially has to go out and be like the best player in spring training in baseball to like solidify him as an opening day shortstop where it stands right now because you're still trying to figure out i mean the orders are still trying to figure out everyday playing time for westberg right so it's like you have a lot of guys around that's trying to figure out, again, one of those good problems, but it's still a problem to figure out playing time for all these guys. Um, and so you're not platooning too much or, or you know, again, not giving um, certain guys that need more seasoning the ability to develop either in the minors where they can get everyday at-bats or putting them in the lineup every day at the major league level. Uh, I definitely do think they want to avoid doing that with Holiday. So I could see – I'm not I'm not going to make a prediction because it's not the predictions part. I'll hold the predictions for for the predictions part. But Caminero versus Holiday, that's what I'm anticipating watching. I, I I think for baseball, it's it's wonderful. Anytime divisional teams have, um, you know, kind of the faces. I think back to, um, you know, when I was younger, when I was a kid in, in you know, mid, late 90s, you had Nomar, you had Jeter. Uh, obviously you had A-Rod, he was out in the West Coast, but like that sort of triumvirate of uh, shortstops, like that is just, it's always kind of fun and interesting to kind of see guys like that kind of packaged together coming up around the same time, playing against each other often, hopefully, you know, for big moments, division titles, championships, et cetera, et cetera. So Camino versus, uh, versus, and I'm putting that in kind of quotations, uh, holiday trend. On that note, talking about how much Baltimore values the AAA experience, they're kind of one of the few teams that still values that AAA experience. And so the trend that I'm anticipating is that solidification of AA is like the finishing level, right? I think we're seeing it more and more and more. We talked about it a few episodes ago. I know I waxed poetic about kind of the, the dire, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the negatives of that, the, the dark side of what that could mean the game but if we focus on the positive i think um seeing if more and more teams are invested in double a being like that's good right if you can perform there we're good with bringing you up triple a now becomes more extra 
um, you know, extra depth. It's almost like if if I use another cross sport analogy, as uh, I know most most of the country gets ready for football, it's kind of like practice squad, right? It's kind of like uh, we can just kind of call some guys from that group as injuries and things need, but like the the core talent is really coming from the core young talent is really coming from double A. So I'm interested in watching that, um, and if that solidifies, you know, the good and the bad that may come to that. And then the farm system, I got to tell you guys, I, I'm still doing FYPD prep. Um, I'm way behind because I'm supposed to be solidifying my July <laughs> FYPD prep. I see September and I'm still doing that. Um, but Seattle's Seattle's uh, farm system, man, especially when we're thinking about hitters. Whew. The draft class, just to run through some names in the draft class, Ty Pete, big fan of his. Colt Emerson, big fan of his. Big fan of his. Uh, Johnny Framello, learning more about him, probably going to become a big fan of his. Ben Williamson, he essentially is just like, to me, is, I was making a comparison on Twitter. I think I was talking to Chris Clegg that um, Ben Williamson right now is like, what if Tyler Locklear could actually play third base? It, I mean, it's, it's literally, you, you watch the profile, it's like the carbon copy almost. Small college, kind of under underlooked, big power corner cornerback but the difference is Locklear you know the footwork isn't really necessarily there it was kind of always going to push him to first base Williamson might actually be able to stick at third but everything else is right there Aiden Smith is another guy um super athletic really good looking uh young hitter and that's just the draft class these are just the guys that they just got not talking about Cole Young, not talking about Harry Ford, not talking about Lazaro Montez, who is looking like a beast. Like, and I can go on and on and go, like, you know, Seattle draft class again, or the Seattle farm system, I should say, especially when we're talking about hitters. If you guys are not invested in having at least a couple of those guys in your dynasty team, you need to go out and try to figure out how to get a couple of these guys on your dynasty team. Just from value alone, even if they don't make it all the way, just from value alone, what they're doing out there in Seattle is, uh, it's it's pretty significant so that's my player trend and farm system to anticipate in 2024 uh what we will do is you know what jake i'll throw it to you um so you can go through yours yours is actually a little bit more extensive than mine so we might jump into a break in between but i know you have some like really good stuff that you have outlined so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to you i had okay um, absolutely. I will, I'll get into that, but I want to ask you about Jackson holiday, um, a little bit more real quick. Yeah. I think, um, I think I'd be a little bit more optimistic to say he might be the opening day. I don't know if maybe it's not opening day shortstop, although like, I don't know why they would put him at second or third, uh, you know? Yeah. But my point is, I think that there might be, there might be a spot cause they're like, they're giving a lot of playing time to like Adam Frazier right now. Um, and even yeah. like Ramon Arias. Yeah. And I, I don't think that they're going to keep them for next year. I'm pretty sure Adam Frazier is on a one year deal. He's on a one year deal. I know that for a fact. Right. I don't think they're going to bring him back because no. they have so much talent no, to replace him. You know? Yeah. And so I think maybe, so maybe second base is um, Jordan Westberg's spot. Mm-hmm. And then you got uh, Gunner's currently at short, but like I think we all kind of assumed he would end up at third eventually mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say, so he goes to third. Ramon Arias, I don't think you could keep you know, getting him playing time over Gunner if that's how you move him over. Um, and then I think short kind of opens up because like we know that Mateo, Mateo started one out of the last six games. He's not right. really going to be, he hasn't got a thing since May. Experimenting him in outfield yeah. as well and like all that sort of stuff. But here's the thing. What do you do with Joey Ortiz? 
I don't know if Joey Ortiz forces you to keep down uh, Jackson Holiday. You I know, I think he's a great player, but I think that he might be the kind of the bench utility in the, the I think next that's great his, Orioles I think that's team. The, you know, no, no, no. I agree that that's the end point, but I think sure. to start the season. Mm, yeah he's yeah. a bit older he's already done it at triple a and that's what i'm saying like he's done it at the level that the orioles value they've gave him a little bit in pieces uh at the mlb level but obviously again with this log jam he, they, they couldn't find a, a solid spot to put him at so yes i think in 2025 and maybe even the this time in 2024 is that his role absolutely like i'm not saying that he's better than jackson holiday at all i'm not crazy um <laughs> but i think to start a, st- a season especially depending you know, I don't want to say, but like if the season goes really, really well for the Orioles, you have to start thinking about, okay, we're not just in rebuild mode anymore, right? Like we now have some expectations about how we can get things done for a few seasons in a row. And -hmm. now it becomes less about giving guys time to, to learn and all that sort of on the job training. And now it becomes a, a time about like, we, all of our players need to be ready to hit the ground running whether they're veterans, you know, we're getting them through signings, trade, whatever. It, it, the, 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 the mindset changes a little bit. And again, if you yeah. use, you know, knowing Elias comes from Houston, if you think about the Astros, that shift took place. It took place from, hey, we got this little guy named Altuve. We're going to run him out there. We'll see what happens. Hey, we picked up this guy from LSU, Bregman. We're going to move him from, he was a shortstop, but we're really going to move him at third. We're going to see what, to, oh, now we got, everything rolling and now we can start doing some things. Now we can start making some trades. Now we start picking some guys up and now we have some expectations. Excuse me. Uh, I think the Orioles are kind of following a sim or looking to follow a similar footprint. And that's why I'm saying, I think I could see Ortiz getting those at bats in April of 2024. Yes. If we're in July, August, like I said, right now, September of 2024, do I expect that to be a case? Hopefully no. Um, right. Cause I think something, bad would have happened if that's the case in somewhere uh but that's why i think to start um he's he slots right in over you know if you do uh let fraser walk which i anticipate them doing if you are taken away from Uris, because i don't know what his uh contract looks like but if you know if he's still uh still signed let's say and you can't necessarily shop him or move him you know does he does ortiz give you a younger better version of what Uris? Uh, could kind of give you sure but that's why i see like i, I think he's getting those uh at bats um to start and then sure by mid-april may if jackson holiday does what he's been doing at every other level absolutely right ortiz here's your seat on the bench you're our utility guy and jackson holiday is here because again if you think about what they did with that again it, it, that's the other thing is like i'm using precedent Adley, they were like, oh, well, they're going to definitely move. Now, the Adley and Grayson thing was kind of a little bit peppered by a little service time and a little bit of yeah. actual injury. So yeah. that changes it. But still, I think you can use it as a, somewhat as a precedent to say, like, they're not going to rush and they've created enough depth that they're okay with, like, you know, we can have the quote-unquote lesser of the two and I, no offense to Joey Ortiz because I think he's a very good player and I think he's a major league player but like we can have the lesser of the two talents to place hold until the next guy is actually ready and we're giving the job over to them would you say would you say that they've rushed 
Jackson Holiday so far because like I don't think that the other know. guys that they have have experienced the same kind of like meteoric like rise through the organization that Holiday has. And no, so I it's don't... like if they just moved him to Triple A after being at Double A for uh, what less than a month, maybe. Like I-, I think if we're following the trend of like how quickly they've moved with him so far, I think it's mm-hmm. hard to see him be in Triple A for. 250 300 400 at bats you know right so i mean I, I, that's what i'm saying like if you if you plan it out how many at bats is it's it's post labor day right by the time this podcast comes out i don't have the norfolk schedule in front of me but uh i don't i don't know if they're in the playoffs so that's another thing if they're see, if their regular yeah, season is fair. the that's, end of their season, season yeah. Yeah, yeah like if the regular season is the end of their season and let's say okay let's assume that they do make the playoffs again i could probably pull this up um, if I if I move quickly enough, but if we assume that they are in the playoffs, let's look at MILB um, standings here, because that's what I mean by it's just the math of how many at bats it's going to get this season. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Spring training, and then you know, uh, so yeah, in the international league, yeah, Norfolk is fourth right now. Um, in the second half standings, uh, they do not have, oh, playoff procedures. They don't have a, and then even a how many, up. hold on. How many regular um, season games are there even left? It's kind of Yeah. Beating. And so, yeah, they're doing national championship game, follows best of three championships in both leagues. So yeah, I think long story short is like Norfolk's not going to be in the playoffs. And therefore, I don't think they have many games left. And so, right. he, you know, he's starting every game. He gets three to four at-bats every game. I still think that puts him at probably 50 plate appearances, maybe to end the season. Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah. Hold on. I'm going to – we're going to figure this out real time. Let's look at schedule. Okay. Um, for Norfolk. Because that makes yeah. okay, that makes sense. I think putting it into that perspective of like he's actually probably not gonna like he was promoted AAA, but he's probably not actually gonna get a whole lot of time there, right? Before the season ends, so like you and like so, you said, it would have to be like an insane spring training, right? So yeah, so September yeah. they have well, they have a fair amount of games. They they finish on their season finishes September twenty fourth. And then it's IO Championship game one. I think that's just for everybody. Uh, okay. So maybe so, what? 78, 70, 70 play appearances, maybe. Yeah. One, two, three, 75. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 games, 18 regular season games. If yeah. So that's played, probably right about. Yeah. If yeah, you played in every game. Right about 70. Yeah. So that that's where I'm coming from with all that. The precedent that they have with Grayson and Alley and Gunner and some of these other guys, um, the fact that they value the AAA experience at least somewhat, and then the fact that they do have somebody that's majorly capable, even if he's not as the upside is nearly as as high, that's also ready um, within their farm system. I think all those adds up to, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, he would have to put on an extreme show, which is obviously not out of the realm of reason. But he would have yeah. to do something like really out there. Um, yeah, I did see someone on Twitter say that they recommend stashing him because he couldn't hurt in redraft. For oh, this year. absolutely, absolutely. Right? Redraft for this year? 
Oh, for this year. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was th- I thought they were talking about like <laughs> I was like, we were just talking about how he's not gonna no, no, be no, the no, opening no. day. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was so I was so hype I didn't let you finish. My apologies. No, for this year, that is a bit extreme. I mean, yeah. the only way I guess I, I guess I could see it makes sense if you had like one roster spot available in your redraft. And you gotta be able to do something else with it though, right? Like I mean, and anything. If you're going into the playoffs, you have one roster spot. And you feel really good about everything else that's operating. Like my pitching is solid. I don't. I can't really add anything there. And I think my offense is enough. I could see you gambling because if I'm wrong, and if he comes up, like suppose he does like a Randy or Rosarena thing, that's enough to win you your championship, right? Like I'm not saying he, but just that run that Rosarena had, where it was just like every day he's hitting a home run. Every day, like if he just has that spurt for like a 10 game stretch with the Orioles for your playoffs. That's enough to win you your championship. If everything else is like rock solid for you, I could see you gambling on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see you gambling on that, but it has to be like that sort of perfect scenario. Like you can't have any other stars. You said what? The stars align. Yeah, exactly. That's really what it has to be. It's like everything else in your lineup has to be like pitch perfect. You have to be like the number one overall seat. Like you can't have any other like obvious gaps where it's like, you're going to stash Jackson Holiday, but you don't have a good closer. Like, you know, like you're going to stash Jackson Holiday uh, for the potential, but like your outfield's a mess. Like you can't have any of those things. It has to be like everything is pitch perfect. And if Holiday gets called up and gets hot, that's all I need. Like that puts me well over the top. So yeah, crazier things. People have done crazier things. This is true. Um, all, all right, right, so I'll get into my I'll get into my thing now. I um, you went through yours pretty quickly, and so um, um, and so you you mentioned that like uh, that mine was a bit more that we'd have to break up the breaks or whatever. I was like, you know, yeah, let me just add some more time here. Let me just come in and and, and bring well, something up. So well, we I want to cut you short. Do you want to? We can go to break now, come back, and then you can just we can finish everything out, and that way we don't have to split anything up. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll do that. All right, cool. Quick break. Come back. Jake's going to talk about what he's anticipating for 2024 right after this. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. 
The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right. Super quick break, just like we said. All right, Jake, floor is yours. What are you anticipating for 2024? Absolutely. So the first one that, and a player to anticipate. So I think the, the player that first came to mind for me uh, is Tink Hentz, uh, starting pitcher and prospect for the Cardinals. And then it's he also kind of represents the incoming class of potential early season pitching promotions like the like the huge wave that we saw at the beginning of this year there is a class of guys that is like just as talented just as close with potential opportunity like just as much potential opportunity to do a very similar thing next year and this year it was like oh my gosh this is like uh, it seemed unprecedented and i think it might happen again and so I think being prepared for if and when that happens, um, I think is already going to put you a step above, um, you know, potentially some other people in your league who might have thought that this year was a fluke. Um, and it's it, and that's also going to say I'll, I'll say that like it, it's not a guaranteed winning strategy is relying on rookie pitchers because like even with all those guys we saw this year, like Mason Miller got hurt. Uh, Louis Varlin came up and was great and then he got sent down and he's been down in AAA for a while and now he's in a bullpen, which I, I don't understand. I love Louis Varland. I'm still mad about that. Um, you know, but like he 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 was sent back down and um innings caps as well. Innings caps, yep. Like like um Emerson Hancock came up, got injured. Uh Mason Miller came up, was a huge thing, got injured, went back down. And so it's just like it's not always gonna work out great, but you might hit a Tanner Bybee. Um, who will be fantastic. Um, and so you never know. And and regardless that sounds, of that sounds like was a that? new TikTok dance. You hit the Bybee. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I like that it. was I an like old it. man joke. I'm sorry. Keep yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I appreciate you even uh, knowing what TikTok is, Lamar. <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> so um with that, I where was I even? Um so with with the rookie pitchers, right? Like you're gonna have the guys that 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 blow up or get demoted and but regardless of the success rate, your league mates are going to spend capital, whether it be fab dollars or just like waiver priority, whatever, like picking up these guys and running them out. Everyone's going to want them when they debut. Right. So knowing about him ahead of time, always a good thing. But first with hence, like he, you know, was like made noise in the Arizona fall league last year. He was one of the youngest guys there. Definitely one of the youngest pitchers there. One of the few really genuinely good pitching prospects because the AFL usually isn't fantastic for pitching prospects, but he was there. He was showing out, got a decent amount of hype, but it was like, Oh, this guy's still super young. He was, what was he? What? 19 at the time last Sounds year right. when he was in the AFL. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, also, we still have to wait a while. Like, he was at, at, at a lower level too. He was still like, I think low A. Yeah. At the time, yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, so he was like, it was like, oh my God, this guy's nasty. And then it's like, oh, we're not going to see him for a minute. And he's kind of, he's been very under the radar this year. Um, he has seen like a big drop in his strikeout rate uh, going from the, he was, yeah, he was at low A and complex, low A in 2022, complex in 2021. And then this year uh, started at high A and then uh, promoted to double A. Um, so he's had 41.2 innings in 
high A and then now 40.1 in double A. So pretty much split in half. Um, and yeah, so his strikeout rates in the lower levels were 34 and 41. And then in high A this year is 27.9 and now in double A 22.1. So pretty fair drop off in strikeout right there. Uh, the walk rate has also increased in double A as well. Um, but I still see the very, I still see the same stuff, you know, the same kind of impressive arsenal um, and complete arsenal too. Like he has a good amount of like good amount of really good pitches. He get it like righties and lefties. He has a plan for both of them. Um, the changeup is still disgusting. This, the, the breaking balls. It's the thing that's kind of been interesting this year to see the different variations of that breaking ball. Um, Cause it's like, is it a sweeper? Is it a slurve? Is it a curve? You know? And it seems that he's has a couple different variations of that. Um, and it can go anywhere from like low eighties to like 86, 87. And it's hard to like watch his starts and, to, and like pick out which one is which. Um, because obviously we don't have consistent, uh, radar readings on broadcast and things like that. But also the movement is like, it's like he has so much, so much spin, so much break. And sometimes it kind of does something unexpected. You get like, Oh, that was a more of a sweeper. Oh, that was more of like a, like a 12, six action. Um, and so I think it's like, which, which breaking ball is going to be his go-to, like which version of that curve slurve is going to be like the, the weapon for him and, or even can he make two distinct offerings there mm-hmm. and use them in specific situations? Um, and yeah, but the changeup is still great. And the fastball is, is solid consistently in the mid nineties can get up in like the 97, 98 range. Um, but it has a decent amount of run. I read recently that it's lost a bit of a bit of ride this year. Um, but I still, still believe in the pitch. And so, I mean, like this is someone who is very young still. Um, he is currently 21, currently 21. And he has a really good, like kind of really good arsenal to play with. Um, you know, he has, I think what a lot of guys, a lot of guys who are like, you know, mid nineties, solid fastball and like devastating breaker a lot of those guys lack a changeup or like a, a really any third pitch you know we talk about it all the time it's like oh what's what's he going to develop to keep you know to build out the arsenal more hence has that like nasty changeup too already and so i think that that bodes well for him and so this year you know i just said he only has gotten to double a but the point i wanted to make is that we've seen a lot more guys like you said earlier double a being the finishing school We've seen a lot more guys make their MLB debuts after not reaching AAA the season before. So I had a couple examples here of guys that we saw make MLB debuts in 2023 and pitch a substantial amount of innings that had not reached AAA last year. Uh, Tanner Bybee, first and foremost, he's been maybe the best rookie pitcher. He's pitched a ton of innings and he had not pitched in in AAA last year. Also, Andrew Abbott, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, Yuri Perez, uh, and guys that haven't um, impacted as much, but have still made it and been solid. Kyle Harrison, Emmett Sheehan, Mason Miller, um, who Mason Miller is about to come back again from the injured list. Um, and he now could with, have been incredible had he not been injured. You know, that was the, what was that, Lamar? I was just going to say now with Harrison and Miller, they did see AAA briefly for for Miller. Um, Miller in got 2022. Oh, I'm sorry. I did not see the 2022. That's what happens when you don't read. They got to AAA this year. <laughs> my fault. That no reading problem. is fundamental. Keep going. Right, because because my point with the with the AAA not seeing AAA is that Tinkens has not 
seen AAA this year. And so I think that it's based on kind of like what we had known about pitchers before this season. You might look at that and be like, ah, he still has to like, he still has to spend some time in AAA, maybe even finish off AA. And then there's like some extra time to get to the majors where it's going much quicker now like across the league. It's not like a one team, like the Mariners have been recently like promoting guys straight from double A. It's not just them. Um, you know, it is other teams that are making the process a lot quicker. Um, and so when you look at this kind of handful of guys who at the, who was in a very similar spot to where Tink Kent's is right now, uh, last year. And so the, you know, it was like Tink Kent's in the AFL. He's great, but he has so much, he's so young. He has so much more time. Even this year, he hasn't really been talked about um, as like someone who's very close. I think he could be a lot closer than we expect. Um, and the, you know, the kind of the command issues don't, you know, phase me a whole lot um, as like his walk rates ticked up in, in double a um, because I still think that it's just kind of like those raw skills. I would rather trust than the kind of erratic walk rates that we've seen. Um, so yeah, so I think Tink Kent's is the kind of primary guy that I'm looking at here um, because he's he's one of, he's um, he's one of my favorite pitching prospects, um, and I think it'll be kind of like emblematic of the shift that we've seen that you talked about with Double A that we've seen with with pitching prospects. Um, but then also just to just to give y'all a bunch of names that I think will headline that next class of guys making their MLB debuts in early 2024. Um, I think that I think that group will be led by guys like uh, Ricky Tiedemann, you know, coming off an injury. He might have made his MLB debut this year. He's not been injured. Same thing with Andrew Painter would have absolutely made his MLB debut this year. Um, I think guys kind of still in the process of working through um, not so much injury concerns. Uh, Tink Hens, obviously, uh, Jared Jones, uh, currently in AAA for Pittsburgh, big fastball, great breaker. Uh, Nick Frasso is uh, recently actually just promoted to trip triple a for his last two starts with the dodgers um great arm side uh sink to his fastball it can get up into the upper 90s as well uh cade horton for the cubs absolutely nasty one of the best pitching prospects uh chase hampton for the yankees uh paul Skeens, you know could even make his way up there and then there's just so many more guys um I think that there's going to be another really good, nice class of, of pitchers really knocking on the door next year. And so it, it's, it is more of like a redraft consideration um, because pretty much all of these guys are already rostered in dynasty leagues. Um, but I think that even if you're in a dynasty league and are mapping out where you're going to get production from next year, I think you can count on these guys maybe a little sooner than, you know, the, than it might suggest just by looking at their fan graphs profile and the experience that they have up until this point. So that's the point that I wanted to make about, um, you know, players to anticipate. Uh, I think hence is kind of the guy that I'm uh, using as the poster child, but it'll be, I think another group of guys ready to, ready to make impacts. Yeah. Um, the one, I think, the um, one, yeah, no, I just wanted to, to, to add properly now. Um, now I'm on the same wavelength with you. I think uh, <laughs> that, that class is how you group that is really smart. Uh, 100% agree. I've never been sold on hence as a starter. And I don't know if it's been like how they sort of babied him along the way of having like these very short, you know, stints, like two innings here, three innings there, maybe four. Um, I don't know if it's like, and I, I'm, I'm a short guy, so I tend not to have like short people biased, but I don't know if it's like his frame. And I just look at him like, I, I don't know. It's not traditional start. I don't know. Maybe it's a combination of those things. Um but he's always he has struggling. stuff for a reliever. He looks that's, like he looks like, he looks like, like Jordan Hicks, really. Like you know, like and, and that thing I look at, I'm like, 
he's going to be the next great closer, but I don't know if I see right. the, but everybody obviously is valuing him as a starter and, and seeing him that way. What, what am I missing? What are you seeing that allows you to, to, to not pigeonhole him as like reliever first or, or reliever as, as the, as the better value position for him? Yeah, I think that um, just the Cardinals have progressively let him go deeper into games. Now, it's not significant. It's not going from like, you know, two to three innings to like six or seven. But if you looked at total batters faced uh, to start the year in high A, it was 15, 15, 10, 16, 14. And then recently it's been 22, 20, 18, 21. And so that's a, I mean, that's good for what, like two innings of, of work roughly, you know, that he's seeing more over the course of the year. Uh, he also, he hasn't been in the bullpen at any point, um, which I mean, it's not out of the question that like people who end up being relievers very early in their careers are starters, you know, in the lower levels of the minors. I think Bruce Dark Gratterall was one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's not it's not saying that like because he started all his games this year like oh there's no way he's going to be a reliever um, even like DL Hall is another example because mm-hmm. um, that happens but I think the fact that he's gone and just faced more hitters progressively as the year has gone on and then also just been able to kind of stay consistent later into games um, and like in the in his, his last start I actually went and watched it kind of skimmed through it very briefly on August 31st he had a horrible first inning and. Um, he was able to kind of settle down and still pitch a few more innings after that, where I think that makes me feel really good about his ability as a starter, because I think if he maybe didn't have the chops for it, he would have been taken out much earlier and not allowed to go that far. Because like you said, you don't want those guys to wear those huge, horrible games. Um, But the fact that they let him go longer and that he was able to work through it and still post a a couple solid innings, um, I think is really good for his ability to like physically and mentally handle the starters workload. Yeah, the batter's face kind of is a good indicator of um, like times through the order, right? So that's right. another way to to think about how they're looking, how the Cardinals are looking at him more as a starter, right? They're allowing him to get two and and, and three times uh, through the order, which we know right is a, because a he didn't. Deal. It looked like uh, it took him about it took him about two months to go through the order a full two times, and now he's going into the third time through the order. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So my my own blind spot, I'll admit to it. Uh, let's go. What's your trend to anticipate? You kind of teased this a couple of times. I'm very interested to hear you talk about, uh, this particular trend. Yeah. So first off credit where it's due, uh, this, this kind of concept, uh, was I, it's kind of something that's kind of been in the back of my mind that I haven't really like fleshed out myself, but I heard on, um, I heard Jeff Zimmerman who talk about it, uh, who writes for Fangraphs. He writes The Process, the big fantasy baseball book with uh, Tanner Bell every offseason. Um, genuinely one of the smartest people in, in fantasy baseball analysis. Um, he talked about this concept on the, um, the Launch Angle podcast with Rob DiPietro and uh, Rob Silver. And, um, which is a, like a subscription required podcast. It's paywalled. It's through the, um, the, uh, what is the, um, the Deadpool hitter, Deadpool hitter, Patreon, Meatball Mafia, go look up Rob DiPietro on Twitter and and you can see it for yourself, but highly recommend it. If you're in specifically NFBC leagues, I know that not a lot of people play there, but that's just one of my, um, one of the, that's the place I go for specifically redraft NFBC leagues. Anyway, Jeff Zimmerman was on the Launch Angle podcast through that Patreon and brought up the fact that 
trip uh, that minor league walk rates have become almost insignificant both for you know hitters and, and pitchers he was, he was focusedly focused mostly on, on pitchers and he just brought up just the all of the experimental rules that are happening at these different levels um like the abs system in triple a lamar and i were researching right before this podcast to see like what exactly was being implemented in triple a and how it was being used and the only thing we could find is that um it, it looks like they split so half the games use a full automatic system where like everything is called by the by the robot and then half the games use like a challenge system where you have the umpire calling balls and strikes but each team gets you know three or five challenges per game um and then you know so it's 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 just every, the triple a level has the technology there to use it but it just depends on how it's utilized um and we've seen that be an issue for triple a pitchers and walk rates because like i mentioned earlier we've seen a fair amount of triple a pitchers um come through with high walk rates and then be in the majors and they're fine um you know gavin williams tanner bybee um like kyle harrison has been the poster child of horrible triple a walk rates this year he came up he's been fine um and it's i think it's definitely significant when you're getting squeezed by a automated system you know and you're trying to deal with that and it's the only level that has it and so you come up and it's different and then you get there at something you have to adjust to and then it's like just different than anything you've ever known none of these guys have ever thrown to a robot it's always been a, a human behind the plate and um then you go to the majors and then it's back to being a human you know and each umpire has like zones that they're going to call more you know like oh this guy likes to call it on the inside half uh, the inside edge the outside edge whatever Low strikes, and you could like strikes. pitch that right exactly and that's like you're not going to get that as much with an automated system and so you know triple a pitchers i'm starting to take less and less stock in their in their walk rates because it's a huge adjustment to make um, and hitters as well. You know, if you're a really patient hitter, you can, that skill can be um, like exasperated, emphasized more if you're able to kind of like work the edges and you're gaming the system, right? You're gaming the system. Exactly. Um, and at AAA, they're advanced enough hitters to do that. Like, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously an issue at AAA. Also just the Pacific Coast League. I don't know. Like we talk about it so much. But I don't even know if it gets enough credit for just kind of the the varied results that we see um, beyond ERA and WHIP, but even just in in uh, walk rates because we know that altitude affects pitch break. It affects um, you know just how like guys maybe are willing are going to nibble around the edges more than just attack hitters because mistakes can be punished more. Um, and so I think that's also a factor. And then when you look at Double A, we had the tacky ball experiments that caused all sorts of issues for these guys in the first half of the year. And I don't think that that's over. I think they're going to keep playing with that. Um, and then also, so one other person I have to credit is Chris Clegg. He, he tweeted recently, I think it was just yesterday. Um, but let me try to pull it up real quick. He um, brought up the point that specifically for hitters, he's not as you know impressed by fantastic walk rates. Um as he has been like in the past. Um, and of course, Clegg tweets like 50 times a day. That guy's just a machine for content. Um, okay, so here's, I found it. So here's what he said. He said, we wouldn't, we shouldn't put so much focus on walk rates for hitting prospects. Walks aren't created equal. I see lots of non-competitive at-bats at games due to poor control. It tells me nothing about their plate discipline. Um, and then again, cited like the tacky ball and double A, ABS and triple A um, control. And I think that specifically that, piece about 
um, non-competitive at bats is really important. Um, like, like I'll take Emmanuel Rodriguez as an example here. He is like been a kind of off and on hyped guy. Um, you know, last off season earlier this year, he had like some injury issues. He like, um, had a huge knee injury last year that caused him to miss a bunch of time. And it's been like, Oh, like he has a fantastic, he's fantastic plate discipline. Um, he has got great power and he's walked like, you know, 18 to 20% of the time, but he also strikes out almost 30% of the time. And it's like, Oh, well, like he's just very patient, uh, great swing decisions. And, um, you know, it's not that he's like a bad hitter. It's just that he, he gets deep into counts, but when you're at those lower levels, like he was when he was posting those really high walk rates, there's so many non-competitive at-bats um, that we don't necessarily see because you can't possibly watch all of the at-bats, but it helps when people like Chris Gleck are going to in-person games and seeing those live. Um, there's just so many non-competitive at-bats because pitchers down there aren't reliable enough with their with their breaking pitches um, control in general, but if you don't have to swing at breaking pitches, then it just makes the at-bat easier. Um, and so I think that the trend that I am looking at is um, seeing exactly what communicates to major league success. And it's something that I also have not researched obviously as much yet. And I would like to look into more myself. Um, but it's really interesting that I've heard a couple different people bring it up now. And I think it'll kind of continue to be something that is looked at more critically. I have always referenced walk rate as something that is super predictive and like a good sense of a player's play discipline on this podcast all the time. And I think it's still valuable, but it might have a lot more noise than we anticipate because it's like, Oh, batting average is impossible to predict ERA, throw it out the window in the minors. It doesn't matter because it's impossible to predict. There's so much noise. I think walk rate has probably more noise than I would have expected even up until the last few days when I started hearing more about this. And, and then it's like, as I, as I'm hearing it, I'm like, Oh, that like, I have noticed this. I have like, I've seen it too. And it's like, before it was like, oh man, I wonder like, yeah, Gavin Williams has a huge walk rate and now it's having not really an issue. I wonder if it's just like, if he's doing something specific in the AAA, like, oh, I want to throw this pitch so many times or, oh, I'm just, um, you know, trying to develop and it's not so much about results as it is like the development and the development of the arsenal and everything. Um, but it's also, I think, just the chaos of the the rules in, in the minor leagues right now. So all of that to say, I think that we'll continue to learn more and the off season will be a good time to kind of look back and see exactly what the kind of difference was and how much walk rate stuck between, between levels, you know? Yeah. I, I think that that is fascinating. So shout out to Zimmerman, shout out to Clegg and shout out to yourself for, for kind of summarizing and, and bringing it to the fore here. Um, because now I'm thinking about, okay, uh, the next question I have is, does that only work one way? Right. So is it only for high walk rates that it's mm -hmm. more noise and mm -hmm. signal, but we can still rely on like, well, this guy only walks 4%. That is yeah. the kind of predictive of he's, he's overly aggressive. Or is it like, oh, he only walks 4% because he chooses to be aggressive and go after the first pitch because he knows there's only one good pitch that he's going to see in the overall at bat. He'd rather just swing at it, you know, and, and instead of taking the walk. And so, yeah, maybe he swings and misses more, or maybe he has high contact rate I mean, you don't see this a whole lot, but I'm sure there's some guys out there that have some some high contact rates but low walk rates, right? Um, like a, a, a Tim a Anderson, Reyes, a was a Luis Arez type, right? Like where yeah. I'm kind of I, I my back control. And normally, what we've said in the past is like, oh, when you have that great back control, 
you know you can swing at pretty much anything because you know you can make contact with it. But we would love to see a little bit more discipline because then you can hunt for your pitch. But if they're especially at the lower minors or some of these other leagues where they're more experimental, like you're saying, maybe they don't have the ability to hunt for their pitch, right? So they're like, hey, I'm going to see one. It's kind of like Barry Bonds type, right? Like I'm going to see one good fastball this whole at bat and then everything else is going to be wonky and I'm here to hit like I'm not here to take walks so I'm I'm going to swing at this up front and maybe that's this 0-1 fastball that I'm getting and I'm not getting deep in the counts and so I'm not seeing a high walk rate so that is kind of that's where my brain goes off of what you're presenting here and so yeah now it gives me something to kind of think about um and and pay attention to so I love that um as a trend to to watch for 2024 yeah, and then the uh, last thing that, that we'll um, talk about for things to anticipate for next year, uh, farm system to anticipate for me, um, I think it's it's the Padres are just kind of like a, a habitual loop of like tearing everything down and rebuilding everything back up faster than you expected um, because they traded away what seemed like their entire farm at the deadline last year when they got Soto. Um, you know, traded away James Wood and even CJ Abrams, who wasn't really a prospect anymore, but um, is kind of on the on the on the edge there. And and they just like gave up so much for Juan Soto, and they traded and they went and signed on all these guys, and they developed like this huge win now team. And it was like, oh yeah, their farm system just tanked. They were like twenty five or so, and now all of a sudden, looking at it again, less than a year later or about a year later, um they're i think in the top half of the league and i think they'll probably continue to get better because i'm anticipating that they're going to make some more trades in the offseason and it might be trading guys away um it's not out of the question that they'll trade um maybe a machado or a soto because it's been like they went and spent the most money um the mets spent the most money but the, one of like the second highest and one of the highest numbers we've ever seen all this stuff they said you know screw it we're gonna go and we're gonna get all these guys we're gonna get soto we're gonna get um you know machado entities and it's gonna be murderers row and and all the veteran pitchers that they have snell and darvish and musgrove and and it, it has worked horribly and i don't think that they'll just kind of run it back out and try to do the same thing. I think that it's tough to, to do that as a GM they, from the, like the fans want more, your owner wants more, you know, like you have to do something if you failed pretty badly, even though the luck stats and just kind of like the, the um, overall production that, that we've seen from them wouldn't point to them being this bad. It's still not as good as we thought nearly as good as we thought and so there definitely has to be some changes and it's possible that they take some of some of those guys that they went and acquired or spent a bunch of money on and then flip them again um and so i think that there i think there's a good chance that we'll even see more um, prospects be added to the system but even where it stands right now i mean they have some really really exciting guys um like like ethan salas who came from the uh, january 15 class and he has become one of the best catching prospects in baseball um, very, very quickly. And he is still also very, very young. I mean, usually catchers, it takes even longer to, to develop. Uh, like Adley didn't make his debut until pretty late for as, as big of a prospect as he was. He was, what, 23, 24, roughly? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's somebody with college experience as well. So, you know, that, that yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you I mean even he's just advancing farther than you'd expect, even for 
for a catcher. And then um, you have Jackson Merrill, who mm-hmm. has kind of gotten up and down and kind of the, the hype and post hype. The lost, lost Jackson. The, the lost Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, of the three Jacksons, right? There's Jackson uh, Hall, yeah. there's Jackson Churio, and then it's like, oh, yeah, it's Jackson Merrill as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, they got the, they got Jackson Merrill there. Um, even at the AAA right now, they have um, – oh, man, I don't know how to say his name. But um, at AAA right now, they have um, like – do you know how to – it's edu, a, a, a E-G-U-Y? Do you know how oh, to pronounce this person? It's Eggy. Eggy? Aggie, okay, Aggie Rosario, yeah. um, you know, who's been, who's, who's solid. Um, and then, yeah, the lower levels is where you really make, uh, make your money here. Like Adam Mazur, they have some good pitching prospects, Adam Mazur, um, Dylan Lesko, um, you know, so it's like, I think that they have like these young, young pieces that are kind of like, that have done a lot of developing this year. And I think that what I, the point, the major point here is that I think that the pottery system is always evolving and always changing just because of like the deals that Preller is willing to make. You know, Preller. And I think that there's going to be an influx and we're going to look at them a lot differently at the start of next year, you know, because I think that they could be like the next best, you know, the next big thing in like, in, um, uh, farm system rankings if they, if they trade any guys away and, and add to what they already have. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I saw you put the Padres on here and I was like, really? Like, they don't really, insp- like, you know, I was like, okay, Merrill, Silas, and I was kind of like, who, who's after that? But I, I see where you're going with this. Um, and so I, I appreciate you putting it on because it, it wasn't the perspective that I had. Uh, because yeah, yeah because I, the Padres are they traded everyone away. Yeah, you know yeah, they yeah. they're like they're a win now team, and we don't care about prospects. And then kind of in the background, you have the 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 really good development, the player development that they have, kind of building up the next class of of trade bait. You yeah, know? that's and that's really what it is. And and knowing you know, like I was saying before, knowing that Preller is going to make moves, uh, he never stands still, uh, good or bad. Right? Some some of the stuff you're like, why why did you do that? But you know he's going to make moves, so. Um, yeah, you, you could see, uh, them, you know, add some guys in if they, if they deal major league vets out, adding some prospects in, um, that definitely help bump the system up. And I think the other thing is that their international signees are always kind of interesting to say the least. They haven't, they don't always pan out, but again, like you said, even just from a trade bait standpoint, they're always uh, something interesting to watch. So, yeah, I, again, I appreciate the different perspective because I wouldn't have thought about the Padres here um, in this spot. But, yeah, uh, I, we, we'll, we will definitely see what happens. And and with them being top-heavy as is right now with Merrill and with Salas, we'll see what happens with those two. Um, Salas, I think, you know, we were talking about rushing guys through. I think there's a concern now that he might be getting rushed a bit, especially not really – setting the world on fire at high A and then getting that push to double A. So we'll see how that works out. Um, and then Merrill, to your point, uh, was kind of up down in 21 to 22, but I think this year solidified himself a little bit more um, and really started to show the the skill set that, you know, was anticipated uh, when he was, uh, when he was first drafted. So um, yeah, Padres, interesting, interesting point, interesting way to end this. Uh, with that being said, um, just to reiterate, this is kind of, we're anticipating at least I should be talking about anticipating things. We're anticipating that this is our last traditional, um, podcast for the season. So uh, I want to take a moment to say, you know, really enjoyed this, uh, 2023 prospecting season. 
Uh, I told Jake off mic all the time, like, uh, how much I appreciate him. I'll say it on mic as well. He's been a big help uh, coming in as a co-host to start the year. Has helped uh, out with a lot of prep stuff, our editing. Uh, he's done a little bit of everything. He's, he's a glue guy. He does a little bit of everything. Um, so really appreciate you, Jake. Uh, appreciate our podcast um, manager, Adam. Uh, I know he stepped in as a guest as well. So like appreciate Adam uh, doing his thing. Had a ton of fun. We hopefully will be able to pull off what I think will be some um, interesting episodes for you guys to kind of officially finish out uh, the month of September. And then there's a, I'd say right now it's probably like a 60, 40 chance um, of us coming back with a uh, Arizona fall league related episode in November. Um so we'll see how we'll see how that goes. I always like to talk about the fall league because I always find at least one person that I'm like, this guy's really interesting. Um, or like this guy's like really like really improved. So even if it's just to talk about like one player, um, I anticipate uh we'll, you'll probably hear from us sometime uh pre-Thanksgiving. But with all that being said, any new articles, any new spots, any new things that you uh, are going to have are you are you making a move to fantasy football stuff jake uh not content wise i don't plan on doing anything for fantasy football okay. um because I, that's more of just i'm only in two to three leagues each year with you know friends and it's very casual um i don't nearly get into the weeds as much as i do with baseball gotcha. um so yeah still doing baseball baseball and i'll even probably start looking at draft strategies for next year um in the next like couple months you know so um so yeah no no i obviously play football and looking forward to the football season but as far as like uh um analyzing stuff and and putting out content it's it's baseball for sure um but yeah and then just to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying um i really appreciate the the kind of kind of words the shot out there um it's been so much fun to do this podcast you know i had been on two kind of standalone episodes filling in on pictureless podcasts last year and really enjoyed it and started li even listening to podcasts more in the last few years. And then to just kind of like hop on to this project and, and do it every week. And, um, even just, it's, it's such a great tool to learn more myself about prospects and, um, and everything that's going on. And it's also just great to, to make a new friend in baseball, you know, like a, friend on the internet and i've really appreciated that lamar and um i mean it's just been yeah it's been awesome uh really looking forward to um you know 2024 and, and everything that we got moving forward even the next next few weeks get some of get some guests on and um and it's just it's it's been so much fun and it, it definitely will continue to be and thank you all for for listening as well and, and anyone everyone who's reached out on on discord and and you know said nice things about the pod it just it means so much um you know, especially, like I said, considering this is my first kind of like full, full weekly podcast, uh, podcast gig here. And it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huge shout out to listeners. Can't, can't, you know, can't do it without the listeners. Uh, and you guys have been, uh, responsive, um, consistent, which is huge in the, in the podcast space. Like I can look and pretty much episode to episode, we're, we're drawing a consistent crowd, um, which is which is huge so we're going to continue to spitball and there's some you know episodes that we know we want to keep or themes that we want to keep and, and kind of do again and again but we're always thinking about how we can improve and and, and get better as well so that we'll, we'll be doing some off-season tinkering and, and planning 
there. Um, let me ask your stash list, Jake. When is is that coming to a close? Are you like how, how are you how are you doing that? Yeah, that's um, that's actually transitioning to um, one of our new prospect writers, uh, Dynasty Writers Picture List. He's going to take it over for the last two weeks here, I think. Okay. Um, just uh, because I have, it's I wanted to focus more on this podcast, and then also just my my full time job had started taking a lot of my my free time, and it started getting really stressful. And I don't, I didn't think I was putting as much time into it as I needed to, uh, the stashless article. And so started the process, put some feelers out. And so, um, that's going to be, that's transition now. Um, and so it's going to be great. And I had so much fun with that. Like it was, it was a ton of work building all of the, the charts and keeping up with all the box scores and everything and, and how everything's changing, but it was, it was so much fun as well. Um, so just doing more content. So, yeah. So 2024 new, new projects for you then, huh? Oh man, that's, that's I, I started to think about that a little bit potentially. Potentially, I'm not sure. I'm not okay. sure. We'll see how it goes. I think. I mean, I'll obviously be with with Pitcher List. I absolutely love everyone here. Nick is incredible, and there's so many insanely exciting things coming for Pitcher List yeah. in the next year or two years, three years. True. Holy cow! Um, so yeah, definitely be with Pitcher List doing something. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Cool. Um, as for me, uh, prospect watch list will be winding down. Um, I want to say the next two weeks. So pretty much, I, I should time it pretty much at the end of the pros the um, excuse me, minor league regular season. So uh, I have one coming out. It'll be out by the time you guys hear this. Uh, that'll kick us off into September. So probably like two or three more articles before that's done. Um, and then, yeah, I'll go into kind of hibernation mode <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and yeah. ruminate and think about, uh, other things. And then I will come back and get ready for FYPD stuff <laughs> and continue to do that. Um, as always want to remind you guys, uh, listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page. They're all available on the picture list uh, on the podcast section of picture list for you to find, listen and subscribe. You can of course find me on Twitter at inside fastball capital i capital f and you can find me on twitter at jake mash m-a-i-s-h you can find the podcast to follow along and we'll try to have some content we might retweet some uh older episode or some previous episodes in the off season just to kind of resurface that or you know uh we'll, we'll figure out what to do as far as to keep you guys engaged from the podcast twitter page but you can find us on twitter at pl on the farm Yes, sir. This time. PL on the farm on Twitter. Uh, with that being said, I hope you all enjoy. I uh, hope you enjoyed your Labor Day and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Mm-hmm.